Okay, everybody, we're going to get started. Um, so kind of wrangle, find your seats. <laughs> and the first thing we're going to do is some announcements. So I'm going to turn it to Nate to kick that off. All right. Good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing really well. Um, so for announcements today, uh, the first thing we have on is sound team. So if you want to participate and be a, an active part of the body, um, a way to be a leader is to join sound team. So you can talk to Josh Caperton about joining that. Uh, next thing up is brown bag. So if you're a part of Focus, you probably know what brown bag is. Basically, uh, you randomly get paired with a with uh, someone that is your same sex in the community, and it's a great way to get to know somebody either that you don't know very well or catch up with somebody that you have. Um, so if you could sign up by five two, which is today. So sign up by today. Um, and that should be on the newsletter and on the Facebook group. Next thing is leadership training. So the co our cohort will be leading a leadership training. Um, and this is in place of the sermon on May 16th. Everyone is invited and encouraged to join. Um, and yeah, so everybody's in encouraged to join that. Next thing is there is a race and ethnicity survey. This can be found on the Facebook as well as the newsletter. Um, and I could dive into it, but there's just a lot to be said about why it's so important um, to participate in that. And it should only take about 10 to 15 minutes, um, but you're welcome to take as long as you need to for that. Um, next thing is the marriage seminar that is this Saturday. Uh, this is a series of, it's like a free marriage retreat for those married couples, young or old, that want to strengthen their marriage and bond with their spouse and learn how to uh, just kind of grow in practical and spiritual ways. Um, it'll include a Q&A session, um, as well as suggested homework for you guys to go through together. Um, and the hosts are Debbie and Joe, Joe Sasida. How do you say how do you say it? Oh, sorry. Um, and that's May 8th at 3 p.m. Uh, on Zoom. And that can be found on our church page. Next thing is the mini book club. Uh, this is hosted by Marquia and Shayla, and they're going to be reading the life narrative of Frederick Douglass. Feel free to join them. They're doing it for two Sundays. It's May 9th, this upcoming Sunday. And then that following Sunday after that, the 16th, and they're going to discuss the first half of the book and the second half. And they say that they're going to meet for about an hour uh, after church, and they really hope to see you there. Uh, you can sign up on the newsletter and on Facebook as well. Um, next thing is the Shepherd's Prayer Meeting. The next prayer meeting is May 10th at 7 p.m. on Zoom. So submit a prayer request um, or join the prayer meeting. Um, oh yeah, just submit a prayer request and feel free to join that group and you can sign up or do those things on the church page as well. And the last thing today is LTGs. So LTG is a great place to help and grow mature, um, and foster, uh, spiritual friendships as well as hold each other accountable to reading scripture and really seeing, um, kind of where God's heart is in scripture and learning more about him. Um, there are about two to three people of the same gender, and they last about 12 to 18 months. 
And if you want to sign up for that, that is also on the church page. Hey guys, so for worship this month, um, or for today, we have a, a picture, a quote, and a passage that we're going to read and then break out into groups and discuss questions that we usually do. Um, what we're doing is, as this is our last month of uh, the worship series on basically the story of the gospel, we've done so far the creation, the fall, death, resurrection, um, incarnation in between that, um, and the Pentecost as well. So today will be about the kingdom of God, um, and specifically this month, that's, that's the theme for it. And just a quick tagline to that, our perspective on the kingdom of God is that it is here, it's, it's in our world, but it is not yet here in its fullness, not until Jesus comes to complete it and make it in its fullness. So we'll primarily be looking at, um, looking forward to the hope and the promises that God is yet to fulfill in uh, making his kingdom uh, full, uh, complete. And looking at what the kingdom of God will be um, when Jesus returns and uh, as he will bring that and deliver it into its uh, completion. So today's theme, uh, a way to think about it, is in the phrase that uh, already but not yet. Um, and specifically today, we'll be talking about the already part and next week we'll cover the not yet part. And um, this already but not yet is meant to capture, I guess, this month's theme on the kingdom of God. Uh, and there's the picture that I'll now lead to um, that here. Let me know if I'll share my screen. Let me know if you can see my screen. Yes. Okay, cool. So it's titled The Kingdom of God, um, and it's inspired by uh, this scripture and the, the verses that in his name, the nations will be, will put their their hope. Um, now, like most pictures, uh, this subject to interpretation, but a few um, obvious observations um, or to, to kind of guide thought on this before we end up breaking out into groups and discussing this is one, they all seem to be facing a similar direction, right? Um, they all seem to be attentive. They all seem to be calm. Um, and they all seem to be of different backgrounds in spite of all of this. And that's what is meant to be encompassed in this tagline of the kingdom of God that in his name, the nations will put their hope, the nations of different people. So it, it's meant to show us that in spite of our different backgrounds and different walks of life, and there is a one God that we look to, there is a one direction that we, that we head towards. Um, and it is in these different cultures and different, different differences between people around us and society that God will uh, bring his kingdom and that we as the church will, will manifest that and that God and Jesus are leading that. So um, there is a passage that, uh, that comes with this um, picture and I'll read it out here for us. If we only had eyes to see and ears to hear and wits to understand, we would know that the kingdom of God in the sense of holiness, goodness, and beauty is as close as breathing and is crying out to be born within ourselves and within the world. We would know that the kingdom of God is what we, all of us, hunger above for all things, even when we don't know its name or realize what it's what we're starving to death for. The kingdom of God is where our best dreams come from and our truest prayers. We glimpse it at those moments when we find ourselves being better than we are and wiser than we know. 
we catch sight of it when at some moment of crisis a strength seems to come to us that is greater than our own strength. The kingdom of God is where we think, where we belong. It is home, and whether we realize it or not, I think we are, all of us, homesick for it. And this, the verse that we're reading with this is Mark 10, 29. We brought this verse in because it shows that Jesus, he's saying that there are aspects of the beginning of the kingdom of God in here and now that we can already experience in this life. Um, so yes, he, anyone who gives up all these things will receive a hundredfold more in this life and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So the questions that we're going to talk about in our breakout groups today, uh, we've got our three usual ones. What does this convey about the heart of God? What might God be communicating to you or to our community? And what might it look like for you to respond in obedience? And a bonus question, um, which is kind of the, maybe the main one for today, is how have you already experienced the kingdom of God? There's a lot of aspects of the kingdom of God that we don't experience yet and that we're still waiting on. Um, but there's also many that we experience already. And so that's what we're uh, talking about this week. Um, and all the prompts, the painting, the quotes, the scripture, and the questions, that's all at DentonNorthChurch.com slash songs. Um, and so if you, if you get into your group and you're like, oh, I want to see the painting again, or I don't remember what that quote said, uh, you can go to that on your phone or whatever and see everything there. Um, so yeah, that's what we're doing whenever whoever breaks us up into groups. Now is the time. Okay, everyone, I think it's time to get started on the sermon part. That was awesome. I really enjoyed worship this morning. Um, we talked earlier when we were kind of doing the mingling um, before getting started about just congratulating people who graduated this past week and yesterday, um, or I guess two days ago, but just want to reiterate that. Um, congrats to you guys. Awesome accomplishment. You've made it, and um, especially through some pretty challenging last few semesters that were pretty unusual compared to your other <laughs> semesters of college, I'm sure. So um, that's just awesome. Congrats to you guys. That's great. And um, I think we've got a few people who graduated, uh, at least Justin, with their master's as well. So very, very cool. You guys made it. Um, we're going to get started today. We're talking about the Beatitudes and community. And um, just to remind you where we are in our sermon series, we are kind of in this We've been in this ethics section and section, and I think this is kind of really sort of pulling us out of that uh, for Leslie to wrap things up next week. But um, one of the things I think that I kept finding as I was looking through the Beatitudes is, it in some ways, doesn't quite belong is an ethic, and I'll talk more about that later. But I think it does help kind of bring us out of sometimes we want these really clear um, guidelines and things to follow, and I think Jesus does a pretty challenging job of not giving us exactly that sometimes. But um, I think also one thing that we'll find is the uh, the worship activity this morning with the already and not yet aspect is very much a part of what Jesus is doing here with the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. So just keep that in mind. I couldn't have imagined a better like foundation for us talking about this than the worship activity. So um, I feel like I immensely benefited from those things aligning. Um, as I was looking in doing some research this week, I descended into some serious weeds in the Beatitudes, which um, 
is yeah i kind of got in some loops of thinking and stuff like that so my my plan essentially is to confuse you guys into submission this morning um just to be just as confused as i am i'm just kidding um it hopefully is not confusing um but we will kind of go back and forth and i think one of the things that just we need to keep in mind is the already not yet aspect of the kingdom means that there are 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 things that are hard to understand quite as clearly as we want and that's why we have to rely on god that's why we have to rely on jesus we can't quite get scripture or get what jesus was saying as granular as we want it to be um because then we might be able to uh, continue our lives without needing him so um here's the questions we're kind of wondering this morning about the beatitudes um as far as i can tell so just first like what are the beatitudes what do they mean where could I get one if I was interested in, in buying one, maybe? Would I recognize it if I saw it on the street? And how easily do they spook? Do I need to be careful when I approach them? Uh, just some questions to keep in mind there. Are they a set of ethics for us to follow? Yeah, I kind of said they're not, but we'll talk about that more. What themes do they continue from the Old Testament? Because as you remember, that's basically the premise of our entire sermon series, trying to see how things connect to the Old Testament. And then in what ways does it contrast? What ways is Jesus trying to, to maybe say something different or new? Um, and what is Jesus saying that we need to understand today? So uh, we're going to start out reading uh, Matthew 4, 12 through 5, 12. And this is just going to kind of set some context for us and actually read the Beatitudes. Uh, one thing I want you to jot down now that I'll try to remind you at the end just for homework, I would really recommend reading Matthew 3, chapters 3 through 7 this next week. It just kind of goes much wider than what we're talking about today, and I think um, it's really, really helpful and just helps us to look at the bigger picture of what Jesus is doing instead of just focusing in on a tiny um, portion and never, never zooming back out to see what Jesus was doing. You know, the chapters, all that stuff we added ourselves as we translated the Bible later, so we have to remind ourselves sometimes to um, to undo that so that we can see the bigger picture of what Jesus is doing. So just jot that down. I'll try to remember to remind you, um, but that's some good homework, and it's some really challenging and enjoyable to read parts of, of the Gospels. So, um, so let's read that now. When he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken throughout the prophet Isaiah. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light, and for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I'll make you fisher people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. 
Then the news about him spread throughout Syria. So they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases, intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach to them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecute the prophet, persecuted the prophets who are before you. I'm going to take a second to pray real quick um, after reading that. I kind of meant to pray at the beginning, but now is a good time as any. Lord, um, just help us to hear not only what you intended as you spoke these words to this crowd, but also um, help guide us into understanding what it is that you have for us as a community and um, help us to be part of your kingdom and help um, be parts of bringing your kingdom into fulfillment um, and spreading it as we can. Um, Lord, just help us to hear your voice. I ask the Holy Spirit that you would fill us and... Um, and just help us to even move a little bit closer toward understanding today um, and closer in relationship with you. In your name I pray. Amen. Okay, so um, that's kind of the, the context. I think it's interesting how it moves from talking about what Jesus is doing. He's wandering around. He calls only for the disciples. He's preaching. He's got large crowds following him. He's healing them. And then we kind of go from this sort of broad description into a very specific sermon he's doing. And so I think it's a good thing to keep in mind because a lot happened that Matthew kind of packs in, um, but he's he's sort of uh, shortening what was probably tons of stuff, tons of cool stuff that Jesus was doing. But I think one thing we should talk about too is that um, Oh, after that, you know, the Sermon on the Mount is great stuff, and we really basically almost read like an intro or a table of contents. It's still worth talking about, but that the Beatitudes part we just read is really just the beginning. We added the name Beatitudes. It's just the beginning of this, you know, really important sermon from Jesus. That it's basically the longest one that we have recorded. So um, I think one thing that's worth talking about is the word blessed or a blessing that we often... <laughs> Uh, like to use however we want, like hashtag blessed. You know, if you get a great parking spot, you think that's what blessed means, or you know, they put they gave you large fries instead of medium, that kind of stuff. I just feel like we, <laughs> yeah, thanks, Josh. Um, so I think one of the simple ways to understand that is that you're in right relationship with God, living and experiencing the fruit of God, and that God favors you. So it might not have this this you know, very specific material thing like large fries. Um, but it, when Jesus says it, it's a, it's a big thing that people want it. You know, it's not, um, it's not a small word, but we don't, 
really have a great idea of how to use that. I don't know that I've even used it the right way most of the time. So uh, the way we're going to kind of approach this is I have three sections, just past, present, and future. And it's kind of confusing, but I meant it in, in sort of the perspective of, of Jesus speaking on the day there. The past would be the Old Testament. The present is him speaking to a crowd there in front of him, a real event, talking to real people. Future is how we understand it, you know, today, 2,000 years later. So uh, my first section about the Old Testament is that the Beatitudes should remind us of truths about God that we've heard before. So before we try to figure out what these different eight blessings mean, I want to see what connections there are to the Old Testament and see if Jesus is saying something new or if he's reminding them of something that's, that's not new. So, um, and that's just to say that really what Jesus is saying here isn't super new, but he's very purposely putting things together into one compact, you know, list of, of blessings, a concentrated dose of things that you could find in multiple places in the Old Testament. So let's look at just a few places. Um, I might not do all of these, but a few places where we see similar language about God um, and blessings, and there's a commentator who put some of these together, just connecting some of the the um, the Beatitudes with verses that use really similar language in the Old Testament. His name is Craig Blomberg, just to give him credit. So um, I'm going to read a few of these. So, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. There's um, just... Take note of that some of these are in different books of the Bible, but don't feel like you have to turn quickly to them. Maybe jot down these, and these are really good for study later and to look at the context of them. But um, in Isaiah 61, verse 1, um, it says, The Spirit of the Lord of the God, of Lord of God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Um, and poor in spirit is one of those weird phrases that um, is, is strange because we might think of it as not really about your physical conditions, but you think about how, in their case, I mean, we want to have a description of who followed Jesus, what the, what cr- the crowds were. It was the people who were, who were hurting, who were needed to be healed, who were poor, who were sick. Um, and so poor in spirit is not just physical or spiritual. For them, it was the same. The people who were the you know most rich in spirit, the teachers of the law, were the ones who also uh, had no real physical uh, needs. They weren't poor. They had everything they needed. We'll talk more about that later. But um, the next one is, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In Isaiah 61, verse 2, right after the one we just read, um, says, To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of God, to comfort all who mourn. And then the next one, blessed are the humble or the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Psalm thirty-seven, eleven says, the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundance of peace. Um, the next one, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Isaiah 55, 1 through 3 says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In Exodus 34, 6, it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed 
the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Um, I think Anthony mentioned that exact verse in our worship breakout group a second ago. Um, the next one, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? This is, oh, sorry, Psalm 24, verse 3 through 5. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He has a clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of salvation. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Psalms 34, 14 says, Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Um, I'm going to stop there because the next one is like has multiple ones, and I, um, I feel like the point is somewhat already made in the sense that there are many, many times where these, these phrases are woven throughout the Old Testament. There might even be better examples than what I was able to find. But um, I think that is something that we need to have in mind, that Jesus isn't coming on the scene and making up new stuff that he's trying to push out into the world, but he's reminding the people, the crowd right there, of, of truths that um, they should know and should have heard and have already existed and that God's tried to communicate into the world through um, prophets, through Moses, to Moses, um, in you know some of the Psalms of David, many different areas. Um, I think one of the ways that we could kind of humorously remember this is um, I have some examples of popular phrases that depending on what shows you've watched, you will get this, even though the actual words are not spectacular, okay? So how many of you will know what I mean? I'm not, not going to do any accents, okay? So you just have to really uh, think of it. I don't want to give it away too much. How many of you will know what I'm, what I'm saying when I say I have spoken? Okay, looks like Catherine got it. That's a Mandalorian reference. Um, the a character that says that. Super normal, but if I was talking to a group of people who watch The Mandalorian and I said I've spoken, then they would know exactly what I meant, even though the words are so normal. Um, another one for any people who have watched Arrested Development is if I said I've made a huge mistake. Even if I don't put any emphasis on how to say it or whatever, those words are so normal, and someone could say that in any context. But if I'm talking to people of rest, a group of rest development fans, they're gonna know exactly what I mean. And this is an older throwback one, but if I said the phrase, "Did I do that?" Certain groups of you would know exactly what I'm referencing, especially if I was talking to a group of Family Matters fans. You know, so I think that is a you know purposefully humorous way of looking at that but just think about how the main thing that people learned consumed heard quoted memorized in jesus's time was the bible um the version of it that they had already the hebrew bible and so if you were to say phrases from it um those connections would be very baked in this is a thing that's you know all common throughout the entire new testament and um something that's really hard for us to overcome not being in their culture, in their context, not knowing the Old Testament nearly as well as they did. But uh, I think that's something that, that adds to it. When Jesus starts saying this list of references, there are things they've heard almost only probably associated with God, but all packed in together. That would be a very exciting and very purposeful uh, thing to be hearing from Jesus. And then Brad mentioned kind of the different types of law as he, we've been going through this this section, and he's called this the area creator law, basically meaning 
the kind of law that really just reflects who God is, rather than giving clearly defined laws to follow. So as we read the Beatitudes, it should be showing us the kind of God that we follow, one who blesses people who mourn, one who blesses people who are humble, blesses people who are poor. Um, I think we should look at this as like one of the biggest things we can come away from this, I think, is not just knowing maybe some things we can do differently or follow differently, but more so getting a better understanding of the God that we follow and serve. Um, and, and I think that's a big part of what Jesus is trying to accomplish. So okay, that wraps up the Old Testament comparison section. So I think what, what's important to compare there is that God's the same God. You know, those are the same things he cared about in the Old Testament that he, that Jesus is then putting right at the front to say, almost like a, hey, I'm, I'm the same God, by the way. I'm not changing who I've been, and I've been saying these things for a long time. Um, so now let's kind of talk a little bit about what Jesus is doing, um, what else he's doing in the moment while he's preaching this sermon to this, these people. So um, my next section is like, what's Jesus doing in the moment? And my main summary of that is that Jesus is announcing God's kingdom in maybe possibly the most succinct way ever. So, um, the Beatitudes in, in much of not, if maybe if not all, the entire Sermon on the Mount is likely something that Jesus repeated a lot. Um, there's so many times he spoke to crowds, and I'm not, I'm not sure that he would have been saying something absolutely, totally new every single time, but I think uh, there's a high chance that he was using a lot of the same material everywhere he went, um, because he was, was a totally new crowd new people. So I think there's a chance that these are important things that Matthew was able to get a really good recording of, you know, maybe this specific sermon. But I think we can expect that these are the kinds of things Jesus was saying everywhere he went. Um, and I think something that's important to remember too, is that like right before this, not just the crowds that started following Jesus, but he called four disciples and they were just regular fishermen, um, working class people. They learned Torah when they were young, but now they're just, they just fish for a living. So they're not high on the societal totem pole, and, and no one in the crowd that's following him really is either. And so um, the type of, the group that, that is listening to this is maybe not as relatable to us as, as um, it's not a mix of people who are high in society and all that stuff. It's a, it's a specific section of, of society. And like I said a second ago, the other people are afflicted, suffering from diseases, pains, possessed, epileptic, paralytic, and he healed them and they followed him around. So just keep that in mind. Try to step into the fact that we are are hearing about a specific sermon to a specific group of people. And we actually, Matthew takes the extra steps to tell us who's there. So um, before we start trying to apply stuff, I think just step in and imagine for a second if you can. Um, the moment, the sermon, the actual place, and a people that are sitting there, um, and Jesus is speaking to them. And so he gives this list of blessings right off the bat, and that is something that's actually, it's not so familiar to us, but it's something that would not have been strange for a rabbi to do, any rabbi of any kind. And so one thing I was founding, found as I researched uh, this week is that there was a rabbi that was pretty popular about 150 years before Jesus, and he also had a very popular list of blessings that he read. 
And so I want to read those to you. Um, these are something that's like been preserved and, and passed down and is available um, to read. So his name was Jesus also, and uh, if I didn't say that already, Jesus Ben Sira. So uh, here's his blessings, and try to think about some things that, that stand out to you about, about them. There are nine whom come to mind as blessed, a tenth whom my tongue proclaims, the man who finds joy in his children, and the one who lives to see the downfall of his enemies. Happy the man who lives with a sensible woman, and the one who does not plow with an ox and a donkey combined. Happy is the one who does not sin with the tongue and who does not serve an inferior. Happy is the one who finds a friend and who speaks to attentive ears. How great is the one who finds wisdom, but none is greater than the one who fears the Lord. Fear of the Lord surpasses all else. To whom can we compare the one who has it? So the ones that stood out for me when I was reading that is that, you know, there's not it's not all wrong. It's not like this guy is so far off base. Some of them I think are, are pretty good. But the things that stood out to me were um, blessed is the one who sees the downfall of his enemies, um, doesn't serve an inferior, has attentive ear, listen, have speaks to people who have attentive ears, and finds wisdom. I think the summary of like, but no one's better than someone who fears God is, is still good. So I think this person, um, you know, wasn't like so far off. But I think some of these things um, probably sound all right at first reading, but you realize compared to Jesus' blessings that they are very, very different. Um, something as, simil- as simple as like sees the downfall of enemies or doesn't serve an inferior really does not uh, evoke the type of person Jesus was at all, especially not the things he tried to tell us, including in the Beatitudes, but also in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount or in his actions. Um, so, and I think there's a few other things that, that are problematic about this this guy, but it's it's cool that we have that that preserved to compare it because this, there might have been tons of different lists of blessings that rabbis gave that were really popular. And for people who were well off or people who had... A position in society or whatever, they might have been like, awesome, yep, great, I don't have to serve an inferior, or awesome, I uh, can't wait to see the downfall of my enemies and stuff, not things that were challenging them as much. Um, and so Jesus isn't just referencing truths about God, but he's also using a common format, blessings, a list of blessings, to correct some popular beliefs of the day that are wrong. Um, and I think we have some good examples of Jesus' actions like washing the, the feet of the disciples or touching the leper when he healed the leper. He deliberately served people who I think, at least in their culture, would be considered inferiors to him. Um, but he clearly didn't care about that. So I think um, that's something that's, that's good to know that there is definitely, this is not the way that they were living, despite the fact that, that God had said things like the Beatitudes in the Old Testament. This is not the way that, that the, the culture of the time was operating. Um, it's good background to know, and I think it also just helps us uh, get just a little bit sliver of better context of how they might understand these things. So um, now let's, let's dive into the actual eight blessings and kind of talk about them. And I thought one of the, the best ways would just to be to try to put them in a little bit more normal language, and that's something that there's easily going to be something wrong that I that I do about that. So it's not to replace the Beatitudes, but I, I 
just try to describe, I think, some ways that we can understand them. But I also think before we try to talk about things to maybe change about ourselves or ways to change our behaviors and stuff, just let's try to understand the blessings as they were given to the people there in that crowd. And I already said that, but it's just so easy for us to start trying to think about what do I need to do? What do I need to change? How do I apply this now? But for a second, just think about Jesus is still just talking to this group of people. So um, poor in spirit, the spiritual economic separation was not a thing at all. So Jesus is saying this is a great position to be in. It's precisely those in these kind of circumstances that are open to Jesus for help. Um, he, they're open to a savior. They know they need a savior. And he's saying that you will, you'll basically get something that can't be bought. They're not ever going to have a the economic um, position to, to, to get um, wealth, to get comfort, to get all the things that the higher level of society has. And Jesus is saying, like, one, that's okay. You're blessed because that doesn't matter to me anyway. And um, two, he seems to be saying that they're in a position of, like, um, of that's a better place to be. And I think Jesus speaks about that elsewhere when he says, like, how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Um, and so Jesus is basically saying, not only does that not really matter, but you'll actually get something that can't be bought by the wealthy. And then mourning and grieving, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Um, I, I think this is such great news. I mean, there's probably many things that any the people hearing this would have immediately thought of. Someone they'd lost, somebody who's sick. Um, any, any element of things that weren't ideal about their lives, which were probably many things. And Jesus is saying, if you're deeply affected, I think it's not just about yourselves, but about others. You know, mourning has to do with somebody else dying or grieving. It has to do with things that have happened to other people. Um, I think there's something to that where, one, Jesus is just saying, like, if you're deeply affected by pain, you f- you're feeling deeply, and you care about the circumstances of other people, um, that's something that's, that's blessed, and you will be comforted. That's something that also can't be bought. You can't achieve that in any other way. And he's saying that I'll give that to you. The blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Um, Some translations say meek, but I think humble is a lot easier to understand. Um, And if you think about this, I think we talk about humble as like a a character trait that you can kind of find or or achieve. But I think in a lot of ways, it would also just be people who don't have a lot of influence and aren't important in society, uh, people who are actually humbled, who are actually can't really, don't have a lot of power to change or fix things in the world. They're, there's not any choice about that, really. And he's saying you'll inherit the earth. And then I think hunger and thirst for righteousness. I, I saw a few things that actually just group these together. Mourn, um, humble, and hunger and thirst for righteousness. They talked about those as a package deal. Um, but I think hunger and thirst for righteousness, sort of one of the things that, that came to mind for me is when you're hungering and thirsting for something, you don't have it, you know? And so it's something that, that you really, really want. And so, um, you look out and you see that there's brokenness, there's things that are not right in the world and you really long for God to make it right. It really bothers you that, that the world is not right. And, um, Jesus is saying that you will be filled. So that thing that you hunger for, that rightness and that, um, the 
fixing of broken things, um, that God will, will fill that. Merciful, I think some of these are, are cool because they, they can only be done if you have actions as part of it. So people who care about the people around them and show mercy, you have to act on it. You can't just kind of feel merciful in your mind. Um, and then Jesus is saying, you'll be shown mercy, which is huge. I mean, we, even the most merciful person was somebody, somebody who's a sinful person. And Jesus is saying, you'll be shown mercy. Um, pure in heart. This is, I think, really hard to understand for us. Um, I thought one of the ways that, that we could understand it is that people who don't care about how you're seen or perceived, which is just so tough, especially in our culture where being seen and perceived is a big part of everything. You know, our social media, we have audiences everywhere. And, um, and how can we really know? You know, I think, at least myself, I don't think that most of my intentions are very pure, to be honest. And I, and I can't make that be the case myself. But um, he's saying that they will see God. And so their hearts and intentions were pure. And that's one of the things that, you know, one of the ones that is from the Old Testament as well. But I think that's the best way I can I can think to describe that. It's just you actually have pure intentions and in how people see and perceive you getting sort of benefit from something you do or say um, is not part of the equation. Peacemakers, um, if you're if you're bothered by the brokenness in the world, you see conflict. It takes action to work and make peace where you see conflict in people in your lives. And I think one of the things that's, that makes sense to me about that is that reconciliation is a huge value of God's um, he, to, the, to the point that he goes to great lengths to reconcile us. And so um, I think um, that just kind of makes a lot of sense to me, and it, it doesn't need quite as much unpacking as the other ones. And then the persecuted, I think that's pretty unrelatable to us, but I think for their context there, the righteous teachers of the law, righteous in quotes, um, were anything but persecuted. I mean, their faith didn't cost them anything. They had all kinds of comforts and status because of it. And elsewhere, Jesus tells people that follow him to basically expect persecution. And he's telling this crowd that meeting resistance, hardship, losing things, giving things up is actually a blessing. And in their case, that's something they've already had to do quite a bit of. And so... Um, just think for a second, like what amazing news you could probably do a sermon about each of these. And that's, what's kind of tough about trying to find the right level of depth to dive in on this. But just think for a second, what amazing news it would be if you were a, a member of this crowd, if you are just one of the people in, um, this context, who's poor, who, um, who, who sees the brokenness of the world and regularly, that's just a thing that bothers you, but there's nothing you can do about it. Um, but despite that, in your own cases, you really yearn for God's righteousness um, to come. You are merciful to others. You make peace where you can. And at the same time, um, you're still a poor person who recognizes the, your need for a Savior. All these things that I think uh, maybe some people saw themselves in one of them, one or two of them, or all of them. Who knows? But just that the God of the universe would show up stand on a mount and these would be the things that he would say and that you would feel some resonance with at least some of them. Um, I think it's just so powerful. It'd be so huge. Like we're blessed us because we're poor and 
God wants us to be part of his kingdom or wants us to, to be given the earth. I just think there'd be this amazingly good news aspect to it. Um, I just can't think of a better way to put that whenever the Messiah shows up and says things like that. So um, I think that's something to, to, to just keep in mind as we try to figure out any even sliver of a way to apply this to our lives now, just knowing that what God was doing, what Jesus was doing there on the day in person had um, not only a huge purpose to it, but also was just amazingly good news. He's just, he's saying, this is the kind of kingdom I'm about. Not the kind of kingdom that you guys have been seeing people who kind of look down on you for not having this or that or not being able to follow every aspect of the law. Um, but this is the kind of kingdom I'm, I'm about, and it's about you guys. I'm out here in the middle of the wilderness talking to a group of poor people, not over in the synagogue talking to the wealthy with the cool cloths and the um, the best bits of food from sacrifices and all that stuff. So um, the next section, that's all I've got for the current. Um, there's a lot more to talk about there, I'm sure, but um, I feel like it's worth trying to get to a point, some way of understanding how we can apply this today. So um, the, f- the future section or um, what should be our attitudes toward this. Um, or how can we apply it? So one of the things I found is that N.T. Wright, um, he talked, I found a conversation where he talked a little bit about, about the Beatitudes. And he said, I've come to read it not as here are the sort of people you need to be because you need to be a type of, a type of person, but here are the sorts of people through whom God's kingdom is exercised in the world. So it's kind of a weird way of putting that, but I think he's trying to say, the behaviors shouldn't be first, um, but God's promising the kinds of people that the the His kingdom will be, will be exercised in the world. And then He went on to say, "They're the ones through whom the blessing of the kingdom will flow out into the world." And also reminding that blessing is not just about me receiving some sort of good thing, but um, just like Israel is meant to be a blessing to other people, that's also how the kingdom of God is meant to be. So. It's an announcement of God's kingdom showing a glimpse for now of what it looks like when God becomes king. When God becomes king, there's not statuses. There's not poor um, and rich. There's not these divisions between things. When God becomes king, it flips upside down. Um, that's the phrase upside down kingdom that you hear a lot. And um, I think the element of showing a glimpse for now is the already. And then what it looks like when God fully becomes king is the not yet. Um so perfect um, introduction that we had this morning from worship. And um, I think it's interesting, too, because, you know, there's people who at the time it, that Jesus showed up on the scene, and maybe even now in our context, would think that there's something about conquering. There's something about God's kingdom coming in and, um, and taking over by force. You know, that's certainly what they hoped Jesus would do. I think there's sometimes an attitude of that in our culture of people wanting us to take over, but God's not sending in the tanks and the guns and the soldiers. He's sending in meek people, poor people, peacemakers, merciful, this way different way of getting into the world and flipping things on its head. Um, and so I think there's kind of two equal values for us to come away from this today. And the first I think is just encouragement. I think we also can hear 
the Beatitudes um, and hear good news. I think there's a very warm, tender, relational element to this that's very true of God and, and of Jesus. That slow to anger, rich in love, abounding in mercy element. Um, and that applies to us as well. So I think the message translation of the Beatitudes actually is a really great version of that. So I'm going to read that real quick. Um, and it's just it's just super different than the kind of disconnect that we, we see when we read most other translations, I'll say. So Matthew 5 in the message. Verse 3. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He, His food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. I think there are many in our world, our city, our community, that need to hear that. That that's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind. Of, that's what our God is like, uh, and that's the kind of kingdom He's building. I think that's certainly not most people's first impression of, of what God's like. And even those of us who follow Him, we have our own misunderstandings of what God really is like. That that um, ways we we tell ourselves what He's like, and ways that we have shame around and how we're still not perfect, whatever that is, that uh, this is a really good news reminder for us of what God's really like. This is the kind of kingdom he's building. And um, and there's just, I think, an understanding, too. God, clearly, Jesus, when he's giving this, very much understands the kinds of um, difficulties of experiences that the people there have and that we do today as well. And he sees and values very highly the poor, grieving, persecuted people. God really cares about you. And he cares about you when you're when you're poor. He cares about when you're grieving, when you're persecuted. He I think this this is a as an announcement of his kind of kingdom is is one that I think is so exciting that we can all get behind. I think the second half is equal to the good news encouragement part is a challenge. So if you look at the rest of the world and us, we're much more like the Pharisees and the the analogy if you were to try to compare the people Jesus is speaking to and the people he's kind of challenging. I think we look a lot more like the people he's, he's trying to challenge, um, at least in terms of, you know, just, um, the, the physical and the, um, comforts that we have in our world. I think we're at high risk of forgetting that our status and wealth and our comforts, and especially our knowledge really don't get us anywhere. 
on their own. And for many of us, it just numbs us to the realization that we actually do need a savior at all. We have comforts and things and knowledge about God, sort of, um, or about the way the world works. We can easily get numb to the idea that we still need saving. And um, I think the Beatitudes and the rest of the ser- Sermon on the Mount should, should challenge us pretty deeply. There's tons of challenging stuff in the Sermon on the Mount that I encourage you to read, but that doesn't make, still doesn't make the Beatitudes a, just a list of ethics to try to follow. Um, I think some of the hardest things that Jesus ever addresses here and otherwise are problems in our hearts, not necessarily things that need to change in our actions uh, or our circumstances only. But um, I don't know about you, but I've pretty much never been successful in forcing a change in my heart. I have not been able to just do that and just like grip my teeth and <laughs> make my heart be different. Um, I think we'll really miss it if we look at a list of attributes and just try to go after that. I think it'll be impossible to reach, and I think at, at worst we'll all miss Jesus while we're busy trying so hard to be a type of person. Um, that's at least one of the things that really came to mind for me as I was reading this, and and this is the, the section, the applying section, is where I kept getting into these loops about like, well, he's showing us this, and that looks really great, and I kind of want to be more like that, but also I don't want to just, I want to be pure in heart, which would mean I don't want to just look at a list of things and think I want to be like that um, because I want to be blessed. And so I think it's the tough like back and forth kind of thing that there's no one right way to to be it, um, no one right way to interpret it. But I think just going for like, okay, I'll, I'll trim this out, put it on my mirror, and just try every day to be as poor in spirit as I can <laughs> or as pure in heart as I can. I'll just grip my teeth and be it. Um, I think obviously some of them are actions, but um, so after all this, what's the right route to take? How do we get to where we look like the people he's talking about in the Beatitudes? And this is my best guess at a way to get there without just going straight for it. So um, I think the first is to realize that we are lost and need saving at all. If we forget that part of things, I think we can get way off. Um, I know I can. And Jesus is the only one who saves us. So surrendering to him, it's not behaviors that can save us. Um, It is surrendering to Jesus and just recognizing that he is the only one who can do that. And then I think desiring, actually desiring to know him. Um, If you are actually in need of a savior, you know you're lost and you need saving, and you know who that savior is, do you not want to know as much as you can about him? And then I think to know him is to love him and to love his people. Those are the two greatest commandments he gave us to love God with all your heart and then to love your neighbor. So I think to know him is to follow the, those basic things or try our, our darndest to. And then I think if you follow him and you live like what he did um, and do what he did, I think, I think that's uh, starts to get us toward maybe accidentally looking like the people he describes in, in the Beatitudes and in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, if you follow it, there's all kinds of, I guess you could say practical, they're hard, but they're practical, things like um, turn the other cheek, or um, if someone asks for your shirt, give them your tunic also. All these uh, are loving your enemies. Jesus gives so many challenging things in the Sermon on the Mount that if you just actually followed it, if we just took it at face value and followed it, I think we would look a lot like 
the people that he talks about in the Beatitudes. Um, and so kind of in summary, I think we have to focus hard and strive toward Jesus as our first and only goal. And as a result, we'll begin to look like the, the people in the Beatitudes. But that I think that the tough thing is to try to be pure in heart and not just go after Jesus because we want something from him. We obviously want to be saved and know, and we want to be with him for eternity. But I think we start looking at other things that seem nice that we want from Jesus. We have to recognize that that's not, one, that's not what he's trying to say. And two, I think that's really not the way to get them. It's certainly not the way to get to Jesus. So we have to simplify it and basically ignore everything I said all morning and just go after Jesus really hard. Realize we need him. Realize he's the only one that we can, that will save us desire to actually know him, desire to love him and love his people. Um, and I think that's a little bit of a sliver of a chance of looking like the Beatitudes and trying to understand what he's saying there at all and then being part of his kingdom. Um, that wouldn't just be we're in the club, but we are, as we're following those things that Jesus is saying, we would be spreading his kingdom wherever we, wherever we go to people we're around, our neighbors, our friends, people in our community. We wouldn't be able to help it. Um, so that's basically all I have prepared. So let me pray that God would do some miracle to make what I just said, um, get into your heart and, and have a chance of affecting our community in a positive way. Lord, we desperately need you. Um, help us just to realize every day how much of a savior we need. We do, we need saving. We're lost. And, um, and just help us to realize how much we need you, first and foremost, and that other people in our world need you also. And um, that should be a huge motivator for us. Help us just to realize you're the only one that can do any of those things. That uh, as much as we spend our time and energy and effort toward other things that are not you, that none of those things will save us. And um, Lord, just instill in all of us a desire to know you. Um, that's that's something that I think only you can put in our hearts and uh, help us to love you and to love your people as much as you do. Um, it's in your name I pray. Amen. I know I took a lot of time, but I'm totally down to respond to any questions anyone has. So throw them my way. Could you clarify the, um, like, how do you approach your beatitude in a way that you don't spook it, like if you see it in the street? That's a tough one. I would actually recommend um, if you know any um, like like rehabitating um, or animal um, shelter type folks, those would be people I would talk to you about that. Honestly, this was really good. I feel like maybe I haven't thought about it enough, but I don't have any immediate questions. I feel like I've learned a lot. Well, yes, <laughs> it's clear. I'm glad to hear at least something, even if it's like that you don't have a question, but yeah. Or even if somebody just wants me to give us uh, the address of a verse again or something like that, or just re-say something totally down to do that. But this is already better though. I've got two responses. Last time I spoke, no one had a question or even a joke or a statement. So this sermon uh, or this conversation about the Sermon on the Mount was way better than even the entire sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount at Wiley. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so I think you win um, in that con competition. <laughs> Yikes. I mean, obviously Denton North already knows how much better than Wiley we are, but that's just cool <laughs> to hear in such a concrete way.
Yes, now it's confirmed. You'll get the mail in a week. Just kidding. We love Wiley. We love the other churches. I have a question. Yes. Can you repeat the Old Testament verse references for um, the first two beatitudes? The first three. Yes. Yeah, so Isaiah 61, verse 1, and then Isaiah 61, verse 2. Those are right next to each other. And then the third one is Psalm 37, verse 11. I have a question now. Okay, awesome. Um, so I, this also may not be really relevant to this, but um, uh, as a kid in, in just children ministries, I feel like maybe my ministry just tended to like reduce contents, like complexity, just so that we could understand it. But I just remember being like asked questions like, which one do you not have? And how are you going to try and be like that this mm. week? Um, which is like a good practical, but like, like, yeah, I don't know. Just thinking about like ministry for like young people or people who are new to scripture. Like, is that not a helpful question to ask? Like how, like, how do you, how do you give people practicals on pursuing Jesus without making those idols in place of him? Yeah. Dang. That's such a good question. I, I feel like one of the things that's funny about that is I've realized so many ways as I've grown that like my, the kids ministry at church when I was growing up did that. And it's not really that I feel like it was a hundred percent wrong. It's just that I had to grow in my understanding over time, but I really don't know. That's tough. I mean, I have a kid, he can't speak yet, but I've, thought many times like how am I gonna ever how am I gonna learn to to teach him this stuff and I, I'm not sure I know but I think you know Paul talks about like um I guess one of the things would be looking at scripture as a whole and taking little bits of it and not trying to zoom out doesn't really serve us super well um like Paul says things like are you still babies in your thinking you know and talks about like just trying to grow grow up in some ways and um and so I think maybe it's, it's, it's not really that like, you know, you can, you can teach it the, the exact right way as a, as a kid, but, um, a lot of it is on us to grow in our understanding, but also for God to do that. But that's such a tough one. I don't know. Uh, honestly, um, if anyone has thoughts on that, I think what I would think is I would just probably not try to teach Ezra the Beatitudes. <laughs> I would avoid it and be like, if I can't, if I don't think I can make this be a way that he really connects to Jesus, I probably wouldn't try to go there myself because I don't know how to do it. I would probably focus on um, Jesus spending, you know, saying, let the little kids come to me and and um, him doing such, you know, um, cool works for, for people and healing people. And um, I think I would steer from like the high, um, yeah, I don't know. That's my on the spot guess, but that's a great question. This is Tracy, Josh's mom. Um, I liked the message version just because we've heard the other Beatitudes so many times and it does feel like something that you have to try to obtain. But in the message version, it was more like for me, just with what I've been through this last year, you're blessed when you're at the end of the rope. It's, it's just a blessing. It's not something, you know, with less of you, there is more of God. Yeah, there's a message there, less of me, more of God. But for me, it was just a blessing. It's just a blessing. I had that blessing. And then you're blessed when you feel like you've lost what's most dear, for you, dear to you. Only then can you be embraced. To me, they're more 
not something to obtain, but something to receive and, and learn to internalize maybe. And then in that, you do seek more of that, more of God, like you were saying, chase after him. I should have just thrown it to my mom immediately instead of trying to answer it at all. Why didn't I just be like, why don't I hand it to the person who taught me about Jesus? Here we go. Oh, no. no, I just liked that. I hadn't really read that in the message and it, it, it felt more like a blessing than what I'd memorized for years. Totally. You know, um, it, I know everybody, every generation seems to have different trials um, that they go through. And I know that it, for my life and my generation, it really is a blessing to have troubled times because only through troubled times that um, I've really learned to love and depend on God. And I look back at my life now and I think, you know, everything was going my way and I didn't really have many problems. I would be really in a mess right now that really in, until I went through all the trials that God has given me and I really look back at it now, I think, my gosh, I am so glad he's given me those trials, even though at the time I hated them. Um, but it's been the best time of my life for me to really understand God's love and his mercy, his forgiveness, and really has helped me to learn to love God. And that really is a blessing that most people don't want to go that route. They don't want to have these troubled times and, and trials. They want everything to go good and well, and God bless them in every aspect of their lives, but they will never understand God's love if that happens. And so I think that you should pray to God. God, help me to have trials. Help me to have troubles that would help me to learn more about you and have more faith in you and help me to grow. But how many of us really wants to pray that? We want to pray, help me not to have trouble or trials. Um, and yet, if we do that, we will never grow. And we will never really understand what God's love is all about. Um, and that's what I get out of the Beatitudes. That was awesome. Thank you, Les. Um, we probably should close things up. And anyone who wants to still hang around, I'm going to hang around for a little bit. But don't want anyone to feel like they have to stay if they've got things to do or, um, or if they need to get married. Maybe... Melissa and Mason have already left, but um, but just as a reminder, this week read Matthew three through seven. You can read even more if you want, but I think that'd be really good good homework to keep thinking about this and not have it just be a one off thing. Um, take your time, read a little bit at a time, think about it, read it multiple times, whatever you need to do. Um, but thank you all so much. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.